This is Phoenix 98FM. Good evening. Welcome to Phoenix FM's Orient Hour. I'm Andy Gilson. I'm joined by a host of uh, guests here in the studio this evening, but most importantly by the Orient principal investor, Kent Teague, who will be answering all your questions. Very good evening once again. Welcome to the show and uh, welcome Barry Galvin. How are you, sir? All right, Andy. How are you? Are you, uh, are you enjoying filling in for uh, Chris and Darren, etc.? How, how has the first minute gone for you? Pretty dreadful. I left the mic up, didn't you, I? You did. No, it's just, I, I wasn't going to mention it, Andy. Thank you very much. No problem. How are you, Andy? You good? Uh, still bored, but still here. Yeah, that's the main thing. We're here to talk about, obviously, the pre-season stuff, Barry, and uh, before we get on to talking to Kent... Uh, about your questions that have been coming in. And uh, it's been a, a very encouraging set of results, hasn't it? Yes, has, isn't it? I think we've only lost the one, which is when um, when we put the reserves out, so to speak, for some game time. And um, it's been fairly impressive so far, hasn't it? I mean, obviously, there's a few new players coming. Um, we'll discuss later on. And um, I think the team, obviously, getting to know each other. There haven't been that many changes during the close season. But from what I've seen, and I've been to a few, that um, the new signing seems to have settled in very well. Um, I think I'm not alone in saying that People have been impressed with the two forwards that we've got. Um, Lee Angle in particular. Um, Colin Wilkinson, I thought, was a great player last season, so really pleased that he's in the, in the team. And, um, yeah, it seems to have, um, have come together very well under the under difficult circumstances, as, as we all know. And, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a good, good pre-season. I think um, Ross said as much last night. Well, it's nice to see you walk in here with a smile this evening, because obviously it was very difficult the last time we were here. Um, was under terrible circumstances, obviously. We, we were discussing just, just before the show how difficult it was. Um, um, I mean, Kent, who phoned in, and, and, and Kent won't mind me saying, I believe it was an emotional um, a phone call from Kent and Matt and, uh, and for us in the studio. And it was very raw at the time. I mean, it's still quite unbelievable now, isn't it? But it was very raw because I think it was only a couple of days after, unfortunately, Justin passed away, wasn't it? It, so, was, it was the day after, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, people like to... to to talk and to, and to gather together and, and, and to give their, pay their respects, don't they? And with this platform that we have, um, Orient Hour, um, hopefully it was, a, it was a fitting thing to do. 
And uh, joining us also in the studio, we've got a, quite a few people here actually, to be honest. We've got Steve Nussbaum, who's uh, on his own tonight because uh, Paul unfortunately couldn't make it. Good evening, Steve. Oi, oi, Andy. Oi, oi, everyone. Lovely to be here. My debut on the, uh, on the Orient Hour. And not before time. It's been, a, it's been a while coming, but glad to be here. Happy to be with such a fine set of gentlemen in the room. Well, and, uh, we explained to the listeners that what we're doing this, e this evening or this series, shall I say, is bringing in quite a few new faces and we're, we're looking at you all to really bring your own version of the show each week. So each week's show is a little bit different to the last one. So yourself and Paul will probably bring Outlook with a twist, would that be right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on a podcast, there's stuff that we do really well and are able to do, but on a live radio show, there's lots that we have planned so we'd love to get as many fans engaged as possible. So we'd love to have the platform to do some phone-ins, to do some live chats and to um, hopefully engage as many Orient fans as possible. So yeah, me and Paul, looking forward to it. Like you said, uh, my bearded legend, South Stand Chum, can't be here this evening, but um, next week he'll be here. So your special guest next week will be a very special one. We might as well say you've got Charlie yeah. Barrow coming in. So that should be a, a, a great uh, first guest for you. Yeah, delighted to get Charlie um, on the Orient Hour. Uh, we met him a couple of times, a, a lovely young man. I think when we spoke about Charlie on the uh, podcast on Sunday, Kent said he was full of class and looking forward to interviewing him. And we'll be inviting questions later on uh, in the upcoming week. Well, sitting alongside Steve is a very, very experienced... Uh, I'm going to build you up here, Steve. <laughs> it's the other Steve. Steve Tung, very experienced broadcaster. Um, Steve, you've, you've stepped down a bit to this level, I'm afraid. <laughs> you, you were on the BBC, <laughs> but you, you're here now. So we're looking forward to hearing from you. Thank you very much. Very relieved to be here after my, um, my battle with the M25 and the A12. It's a long time since I sat where you sat and pressed those faders and buttons, so don't expect too much. <laughs> Well, if we can hear a bit of clanging around, we've got uh, Ian moving chairs around in the background. Billy, I'll bring you in as well, Billy Herring, and uh, sometime actor, sometime boxer, sometime <laughs> teacher, but... Uh, yeah, what is it, there's our jack of all trades? <laughs> Master of none, apparently. But yeah, no, really nice to be here, really good to be uh, making my debut, um, and I'm looking forward to talking about all things Orient. And uh, Trevor... You're here, Trevor Singfield. It's uh, not your debut. We've been on a few shows now, Trevor. You're looking forward to working with Steve, I believe, with your panel. Well, most definitely. I think I've uh, a bit of result uh, being paired up with Steve because he's already said he wants to press all the sliding buttons and things like that. And maybe I can just do a little bit more talking. I'm pretty good at. So. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. Well. As you know, the, the pre-season's been quite successful, Barry, and uh, as Barry said. But uh, we've seen some new signings come in, and uh, Josh Wright is back at the club. Yeah, I think um, it's been quite a popular decision. I think he had a hard time at Bradford, didn't he? He seemed to become a bit of a scapegoat for Bradford's uh, relegation. Um, I've got a few people that I talked to in Bradford via business, and they really didn't like him at all. And I was, I was thinking, is this the same Josh Wright that we had at the club? Because, you know, he, he, I think he'd done a reasonable job for us. And um, obviously, we trust... Martin and Steve and, uh, and Ross and Justin to have, to, have, to have scouted him whilst he was at Bradford and to see that he was still the player that they wanted in their team. And, um, and he's orient through and through, I think, Josh, isn't he? He, was very, he seemed very pleased to re-sign and it was Justin's decision. Um, and, uh, you know, terrible timing, but he was, the, the deal was done before uh, Justin passed away, wasn't it? So he's yeah. back at the club and from what I've seen pre-season, you know, he, he looks like the Josh Wright that we had before, which is, which is a good news because, as I say, everyone listened entirely to some friends of mine, I would have thought it would have been a bad decision, but he, he seems to be a decent player again. Well, Stevie Nuss, I mean, with Josh, I mean, when we had him before, I thought, he's a good ball player, and sometimes 
he's quite an intelligent player and I think the squad he was in was struggling a little bit and they didn't read the ball that he was going to do. I think he's in a, a far more confident place with the whole team, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's got that experience now. I think when he left the club, he didn't really want to leave the club. Obviously, circumstances years ago were very different. I remember Josh scoring a pivotal goal away to Coventry and you could see how much the club meant to him when he scored that goal. I think there's still a few pictures up of Josh celebrating in the rain. So great to have Josh back and I will say he knows how to pick a pass, a great pass with the ball. We'll bring the wingers into play. I think that'll be a, a big, big aspect of his game this year. So it's how does Josh get the ball out wide? How does he get the ball out to JMD or Brophy? Or our new signing, Dennis, who I'm sure we'll speak about later. But great to have him back at the club. And it, it's good competition for places now. So in the sense of the midfield, you obviously have Craig Clay, who played the season. So he's going to be hard to dislodge out of the team. You've got Dal Gorman, who a disappointing first season. I think we can all agree. However, Craig Clay had a disappointing first season and look at Craig Clay now. So great competition for places and hopefully they can all push each other to go the right way. But yeah, delighted Josh is back. He is Orient through and through. And like we saw on Saturday, when he scored that, his goal, he was emotional and he's going to bring that drive to the team. So delighted he's back. Well, I'm glad you touched on that because, uh, Steve, you know, players do have bad first seasons sometimes and then come good. Now, we've seen that with Craig and I think... You're absolutely right about Gorman. I, I think technically he's a very good player. He seems to bring something a little bit different to me, that, that short, sharp passing, that pass and move in, in midfield. Uh, and yes, it was disappointing that he, that he wasn't able to slot in uh, quite so quickly last season. But, but uh, you were hoping, second season, that, um, that he would improve. And, and in that department, given that we're going to uh, play with the two wing backs and at the three in, in the middle again, there is now uh, a reasonable We heard, uh, unfortunately, yesterday that Joby is going to have this operation. Presumably had it today, and uh, it will be three or four weeks, probably four weeks, before he was able to come back into training. So there's a loss there, but uh, there's still competition for those places. I wouldn't see Gorman starting immediately, but uh, he is one that you you hope will crack on second season. A statement of intent, Bill, isn't it? The clubs that are signing players from. We look down and see from Bradford, from Shrewsbury you know, from Portsmouth today. Now, you know, these are all, should I say, at the moment, bigger clubs than Leighton Orient. I'm sure it's maybe touch and go there, but certainly in the case of Bradford and Portsmouth, bigger clubs than Leighton Orient. So is that a statement of intent, you think, from the club? I think it is, yeah. I think when you look at the squad itself, when you look at the makeup of the squad, a lot of these players have got experience in the Football League, and sometimes that's going to make all the difference from getting a team to do they have that experience? And I think we do in our ranks. We've got a lot of experienced players in there, but we've also got a nice mix of youngsters that are still old enough that they can still progress and go further on. And I think that we've shown as a club through the sales of Bond and Coroma this particular pre-season that you know, we will develop players and we will get them to play at a higher level. And I think that that's good news for uh, anyone who's signing for the Orient. Good. And uh, better late than never, Jamie Stripe, uh, former <laughs> Orienteer editor, joins the... Uh, the uh, festivities. Good evening, Jamie. Good evening. Was, I it, hope our was it a struggle? Yeah, <laughs> I passed scenes battling the traffic out there. It's an absolute nightmare. Yeah, there's a few problems on the uh, on the M25. That's for certain. Now we were just saying promoted teams, specifically coming up from the non-league. Now we had this with Cheltenham the other year when they came up under Gary Johnson. They they flew up. They won the title pretty easily, and Gary decided to. Stay loyal and give everybody a chance to prove themselves. Come January, I think they signed 14 to 16 players because he said, unfortunately, a lot of them weren't up to it. So 
I mean, we're hoping that's not going to happen to Orient, but do you think they should just give everybody the chance to prove themselves? I think most of that squad, that, given they will come up as champions, have earned that right to do so. Um, it's always difficult with promoted sides because sometimes they just hit the ground running like they did the previous season, just steamrolled the league. So two or three have done that in the past. I think Bristol Rovers have done it. But it's difficult to say. I mean, for, as far as Orient are concerned, I'd, I'd be quite happy to see a season of consolidation with the players we've got given their chance. And as we can progress, you know, if we do need to bring a few new faces in as we go along, you know, that, that's fine. But I think the main the main priority is to stay in this division and just get a platform, get a platform, the foothold back in the Football League. Well, welcome Kent Teague for the first time this season. Good evening. How are you, sir? I'm well. You're looking well. I try to be. Yeah, you've been working out? <laughs> no. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. Okay. That starts after this trip. So it's the Nando's diet. <laughs> yeah, I wish. <laughs> yeah. So, it's been a testing, in all seriousness, Kent, probably the most testing close season I think anybody can remember at the club uh, it's never happened in history before so that's how testing it is yeah but I think a lot of people showed a lot of character haven't they well I think that Nigel and you know Matt Porter Marshall and and David Travis on the board uh, have showed you know a real leadership uh, for the club and it's made a huge difference that Martin Ling and Danny Ross you know, Danny Webb and, and Joby have been involved in the conversations that we've been having. Um, it was specifically designed that myself and Rich would step back. Uh, American idioms during a time of crisis or during uh, a time of mourning don't necessarily work or they don't necessarily make sense. So for us, it was really important that for our fan base and for our staff and for everybody involved, that it really was something that Nigel led from the front. And I think he's done just a phenomenal job. The other thing is, is that we've been aided and really helped by so many clubs. You know, Justin belonged to football. He didn't belong to Leighton Orient. He belonged to football. And the other clubs that he was involved with showed that he really also belonged to them. So he, you know, he belonged to football and, and they have responded and they've, uh, you know, said things about him and done things on his behalf and in his family and the, and the foundation that have been just amazing to all of us. I mean, it was obviously a, a great shot. We had something similar, obviously on a lesser scale, Steve Tung will remember, you know, what, um, Back in '78, was it '79 with uh, Peter Angel, the, uh, the the coach who took the the pre-season training run at Epping Forest and collapsed and died during during that. And he was a former player, just like uh, Justin, but obviously he's not the manager of the club. But right. that was a similar shock to the system, Steve. Yes, it was, and and you do wonder how the players will react. Um, I mean, one or two of them have, have talked about how how strange, not just how difficult, but how strange the first couple of days of, of pre-season training felt when normally it's all banter in the dressing room. They're all coming back, talking, boasting about their holidays and whatever, how fit or unfit they look. Um, but it must have been very strange. But what was, what was impressive was to hear people like Martin Ling say, you know, Justin wouldn't mind you having a laugh. Don't, don't you know, we can't afford to just go on in mourning. For, for all this all this time and and 
the pre-season games I got to, for instance, uh, by that time, they looked at, we had a very nice minute's applause at, uh, before all the pre-season games. And once the games got going, you're into the games and, and it looked very much like business as it was, in, albeit in such sad circumstances. I mean, it's, it's a balancing act, isn't it? Can be between paying the due and deserved respect mm -hmm. and obviously, you know, having to advance as well as a club and, and, and concentrate on the matter in hand, the work Correct. in hand. Correct. Well, the matter at hand comes August the 3rd and it's, it's going to be here. Um, and so we have been preparing, uh, maybe a little bit more in the background than normal, um, but we certainly have been preparing for what's coming up and getting ready for the season and all that. Uh, there's a certain amount of allow, uh, maybe some of the players and, and the players and the staff and the coaches and everything and the fans, uh, maybe what I might term as quiet time or time to mourn. Um, and, and, but, you know, come Saturday when, um, you know, the whistle blows, the players are going to be playing and, and that's the zone that they're going to be in. Yeah. Now, you've given a, a title to Danny and to, to Ross of interim. Correct. Now, do you think that is, in a way, a, a hindrance or is it a benefit to them to be called interim? I think it depends on what they decide it to be. Um, in the situation that we're in, it can either be an excuse or it can be an, a motivation. So what has happened has happened. Now what we have to decide as a club and each of us individually have to decide is, is this a really good excuse or is this a really good motivation for us? Uh, for the most part, I believe that most of us in the club including all the players and the staff and the coaches and the fans and everyone, you know, including our sponsors and the vendors and everyone. Um, we just have to decide, is this going to be an excuse or is this going to be a motivation? I believe it'll end up being a motivation. Well, let's hope so. I mean, at what point would you say, hypothetically, you know, they're, they're called interim, but at what point of the season, if, if they're in a certain position, do you turn and say, we're going to have to, you know, put this title to bed and, and make them... We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. And so it is, it is, uh, it is bad, I guess. It is bad work mentally to go through all of the different possibilities that could be what happens the first certain number of games in the beginning. So there are so many potential outcomes that we're facing that it's almost impossible to war game when things should or could or might or ought to change. It's impossible. So the best thing for us to do, we will think about it. We will be very uh, thoughtful about it uh, as a board and as a, you know, as a team. Um, and we'll know the right thing when it's the right thing to do. Yeah, well, I mean, personally speaking, I think you've taken a lot of pressure off of them with that title, I think, because, you know, you've got that option that they can drop back in if, if it's not going right and obviously get awarded the uh, full time if it goes well. I would not relish the pressure of being the person who followed Justin Edinburgh into this role. And I can't imagine anyone who would. So I don't know that the interim title necessarily changes the pressure that Ross or Danny Webb feel. 
I don't know. I just don't think so. And I don't think that changes the pressure that Joby and Dean Brill and the other senior players and all the players who have played under Justin for the last 18 months feel. Um, you know, a title that we give or don't give someone, I'm not sure changes the amount of pressure they feel. So for us, we are striving to do what's best primarily for the Edinburgh family in this situation. And then once we look beyond the Edinburgh family, what's best for the club, what's best for the coaches, what's best for the players. We've had a lot of questions in, obviously, from uh, the fans for you, Kent. Just a mm -hmm. bit of a softball one, first of all, from, <laughs> from Nick. Yeah. In your view, what would constitute a successful season? So every year, uh, those of us on the board all submit a list of how we think the... Um, how we think the league is gonna end up. And uh, last year, I submitted one that I somehow, I guess Justin got a hold of, and I uh, said that I thought we would finish fifth and we would lose in the first round of the playoffs. Now, see, with Justin, that wasn't good enough. And so he told me I didn't know, again, he told me I didn't know anything about football, which was great. And you know, this year, I, uh, you know, me personally, I think it would be great if we finished near where our uh, payroll is at. So we think our payroll will be somewhere between seven and 10, seven and 10th in the league. I know that's another one of your questions because I've, I've seen them on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And um, so, so I think if we finish between, I think if we make it into the playoffs, I think that would be fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it's, it's such an unknown coming from where where we were to what happened to now where we're going to be. It's such an unknown. It, it, none of us have any idea. The bookies are having a terrible time trying to figure it out, to tell you the truth. Well, John McIntyre got in touch. How does it feel, Kent, to be hours away from watching your first match in the Football League as owner of Lake Norris? Yeah, we've talked about this before. You know, unfortunately for uh, all of us at Lake Norrient, Kent Teague only knows us as a National League side. So I don't really know what to expect about the league or how much greater it's gonna be. You all have been telling me for years how great it's gonna be and how much better it's gonna be. And I have heard that the refs are gonna be better. So, um, but, but, you know, but. <laughs> oh, they're not gonna be better? Let's see, another unfulfilled promise. So, you know, for me, I am so excited that for late Orient fans, we're back to almost normal. Now for some fans, league is normal, but for some fans, they won't feel like we're back to normal until we're in league one, which I understand. So I am very excited about it. I will certainly be pacing up and down on the balcony on Saturday and can't wait for it. And I'm really glad it's here now and, and you know, just this weekend. You are pretty hyperactive during the match, aren't you? Um, I didn't sit down during the uh, friendly that I saw. <laughs> so I don't sit. It's just part of who I am, I guess. General question in from Matt Roper, who said, you know, the, your views really on the loft proposals for an independent regulator um, and club licensing. You're asking me or you're asking I'm, the panel? I'm asking you, sir. Okay, fantastic. So I... Um, we don't mind the structure as it is today. 
Uh, and we bought into the system the way the system is today. Do I think that there are ways to improve the system? Absolutely. And having not known how football in the UK works, um, it was easier for me to thought I understood it from across the pond. Now that I'm here, um, I see the advantages and disadvantages of the way the system is set up. The challenges that we have in the system is that there really is sort of an unlimited financial structure to the way it's set up. In America, we don't have that in any of our professional leagues. There is no just unlimited structure. We tried it for a while and the New York Yankees uh, won seven out of eight titles and stuff like that and so we, we changed it. But um, I think that there, I think because of the importance of football in the UK and how religious, family-oriented, and clannish that you guys have it, that it's so important to you, not only at a personal level, but at a community level or a village level or whatever level you wanna say it at a city level. I think it's really important that there are restrictions put on the ability of an owner to spend themselves into where they shouldn't be. And so I, I don't know that a regulator's the right, I don't know the right person or model or whatever. I'm not claiming to know that, but I do think that it would be a good idea to somehow make it to where the chances of a club going out of business or having to deal with Her, Majesty, Her Majesty's tax office, I do think having that become a lower probability is a good idea. So the exact way to do it, I don't know, but I do think that it would be good to have a little bit more financial regulation specifically. Would a security, a security even deposit scheme help? Yeah, we have security deposits on clubs in the United States, um, and they are required to, to do what's called purchase a bond. And what the bond does, is it, it's like an insurance policy and it covers the cost of the club if for some reason the people who are backing it um, don't, can't make the financial number or can't get the money from wherever it's supposed to be into the club. And you know that in America, that's just a cost of doing business. So I was actually kind of surprised we didn't do that when I first got here. So that's an insurance policy I think would be a great thing. I'm sure there are a number of staff members around um, you know, clubs in the UK that would love it if their club had a bond so they knew for sure that they were gonna get paid. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at something along the lines of I'm the owner of you know, Kent Teague United and I don't pay you all for a couple of months. That, that bond is then taken over. Correct. And I lose all rights to anything Correct. until that, that club is sold. That's a, again, I don't know, I don't know, again, I'm not, I'm not claiming to understand all of the intricacies, but um, for me, we wouldn't mind that, right? Because for us, we are very financially sound, you know, but if, if there needs to be changes to make it better for the game and better for other clubs around the country, we'd be more than willing to do that. I mean, we're financially sound, Campbell. You know, we're okay, but we sat 
previously in a, in a pub and we sat there. And I've we, heard. Ken, I've got to say this, Kent gets the spreadsheet out and he gets the, the, all these pieces of paper on the table. Beer goes out the way, everybody moves their glasses and we won't mention the clump, but Kent's explaining how this team is, are spending 5x their money, uh, the, the income, and, and how this recipe for suicide was going to end up. And, Correct. Um, it, was, it, was a, it was a very interesting evening, Kent, but uh, in all seriousness, it, yes. it was basic math, wasn't it? You know, it's it, well, expenditure. Uh, it's it's a little more than just two plus two is four, but it there is a a, cert, a little bit of economics in it where um, you would never allow a family to borrow so much money in order to have a house or a car or whatever. You would never allow a business to borrow this amount of money. Um, you just, you wouldn't, you know, it just doesn't make economic or financial sense. Uh, there's really only a very few group of people in the world who can borrow money and really never have to pay it back and they're governments. So <laughs> it's, you know, that, you know, but we're not running a government. You know, we're running a football club. Mm. And so we've got to be financially prudent because the long-term um, the long-term view of the club is super important to the fans that are currently five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve years old. And for us, those fans matter. Uh, the family fan matters. The multi-generational fan matters. And so, for us, we think about balancing short-term and long-term, um, and trying to get our club to where it is you know, financially viable uh, as quickly as possible. Because we saw on, on, with the previous ownership that, you know, just throwing money at something is not going to guarantee, in fact, it can have the adverse effect. It can, uh, you've got a wage structure, surely, that you, you are going to be regimented to. We have, a, we have a philosophy at Leighton Orient, and um, it, it's very simple. We want a side. We want a team. Some other clubs hire the absolute best person they can find in position A or B or C. And what we do is that we're bringing people in who are required and asked to be a part of a team. And based on us building that team, then you know we, we are building something that we believe we can win with, which, you know, Leighton Orient fans last year will remember that in the non-league paper every weekend, we never, not we rarely, we rarely had a player that was in the team of the week. And yet, for months on end, we were at the top of the table. So that shows you that Leighton Orient has a philosophy of bringing in a team and creating a team as opposed to having maybe, you know, the best individuals in certain spots. That's just our philosophy and our strategy. Well, questioning from Donut on the message board. And, uh, Hello, Donut. <laughs> <laughs> I've read your stuff before, sir. His name's got a ring to it, yes. <laughs> there we go. Uh, having now experienced football for two years, have your thoughts about the realities of owning a football club changed? And if you knew then what you know now, would your decision to become our major shareholder be different? Oh my gosh, hindsight is so 2020. Um, uh, 
you know, doing something very different like this than I've ever done before. I'm primarily a tech guy. I primarily like to be by myself in the dark and eat pizza and write code and things like that. Um, I'm not as smart as I thought I was. Uh, I don't know as much as I thought I did. Um, and I've learned a lot and I have loved it. So would I change it? Of course, there are certain decisions. Sometimes I've reacted and I apologize if you've been upset by me as a fan uh, for reacting inappropriately. Um, but I, you know, those are the things that I, I, am, I would think about. Um, would I do it again? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I'd do it again. I'd do it again. Well, Clapton Casual's been in touch also <laughs> on the message board. He said, he's Mr. Teague, Mr. Teague. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is Mr. Teague still thinking about buying two more clubs no. in North America and South America? No, no. That's enough, is it? <laughs> no. Yeah, too stressful. You guys are plenty. <laughs> you guys are plenty. Um, my wife's not always thrilled about me being in London. I can't imagine I'm saying, well, I got to go to South America for a little while and then I got to go to London and then I'm going to be somewhere else in the United States. And yeah, I'll be home like one day a month. Um, no, I, I'm not. The offers continue to come in because of our success. Um, and maybe at some point, someday, I might decide I want to become involved in another club somewhere outside of the United Kingdom. But uh, right now, no, I don't have any interest. Is the board actually, this is from uh, DEFCON 1, let's hope we never get there. Um, <laughs> is the uh, board actively, I think we think we're all doing our best to get there. Uh, is the board actively seeking new investors to consolidate the club and drive future progress? We are uh, looking, we have been looking for new investors and we just had someone join as an investor. I'm not sure if I understand what consolidate the club means, but... But for us, what it is, is it gives us additional financial resources as we move up, uh, you know, the pyramid, which we do expect to be promoted again in another, another three or four years. So as we move up the pyramid, the financial resources that we all need to tap into grow. So it's easier to spread the wealth, if you will, although you don't really get wealthy owning a football club. So uh, it's easier for us to spread it around to additional people who also have a passion for Leighton Orient. And, and that's what we're looking for. Yeah, we're, just, we're trying to widen the fan base all yeah. the time. And you've got yeah. this situation, of course, where all those houses are being built in Leighton now. 10,000 people are going to move in across the street. It's just a fact. I mean, Taylor Winfrey's building it or getting it or doing it or whatever. They're planning it or whatever they, however they say it. Yeah. So and and the, the other thing too, just sorry, yeah, no, just, no. just so you know. So my family is here uh, this time. So my daughters are here. Emily and Jessica are here and my wife is here. And when we walk out of the Lion and Key, and I know I stay at the Lion and Key and you all freak out about that and you can't believe I stay in a pub, but it's not a pub anymore, it's a hotel. Anyway, so when, when we walk out of the, uh, the, the Lion and Key Hotel, my daughters and my wife say, where did all the baby, now we call them baby carriages, y'all call them prims, right? Okay. They say, where did all the baby carriages come from? We literally are seeing people with a baby carriage, a prim, or someone who's pregnant, like every fourth or fifth person down the street. Now, two years ago, when we came to Layton, that is not true. That is fact. Well, 
can't be, I mean, I guess if we'd have videoed it, you'd know. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is that the number of people that we see that have a youthful glow to them in Layton is much, much higher than it was two years ago. So even though we don't even have them moving in across the street, we've got them moving into Layton and into the borough. And what that means, and we believe that this is where our latest round of season tickets, because we're above where we expected to be a new record in modern history, blah, 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 blah. And so we've got, um, you know, we've got all these new season ticket holders and it's not that people are, people are renewing at the appropriate rate, which is fantastic, thank you again. But we've got new people and the new people are being brought in by friends and family who say, oh, Leighton Orient, right around the corner. So it's getting there, it's getting there. It's, I mean, it's a great spot to be. It's a, you know, it's a great place to be. Are we in front or about where you thought we'd be in your predictions? Oh my gosh, I hate this question because there's so many facets to the question. Are we ahead? Yeah, we're ahead of where we thought we would be football-wise. We, I said, I've said consistently three or four years till we get promoted. And of course, Justin doesn't agree with me, so he goes out and does it in two years. <laughs> and, you know, and Ross and, and Danny Webb and Martin Ling. Um, financially, we're a little behind where I thought we would be, but that's due to my ignorance. See, I thought, I don't know why I thought this, but I thought that we could restructure a United Kingdom bis business faster than we can um, kind of culturally and financially and all of that sort of stuff. And so Voldemort had us in some contracts that it took us longer to, you know who Voldemort is. And so, you know, he had us in these contracts that it took us longer to get out of to, you know, took us, uh, we thought it would, I thought it would take us six months, two years, three years. So we're just a little, so we're just a little behind financially. That's, uh, you know, but that's, that's how I think of it. So yeah, uh, some ways we're ahead, some ways we're behind. When you think of um, using the um, financial um, system you say at the Orient, are you tempted to try the old money ball system and use it? No, <laughs> no, because it doesn't work. Okay, and, he, and, he, and let me let me explain. There is a money ball system, um, and there are actually two of them, and some people mix them. But the money ball system of outspend my competitors. That will work generally if you spend two and a half times to three times your competitor. So imagine, there's a little team named Aston Villa. Y'all have heard of them? They've got some manager that we have all heard of. Hello, Dean Smith. And so the thing is, is that they went out and they spent 120 million in the transfer market, right? their payroll is at a certain level. They need to be at three times the payroll of Man City to walk the league. Now, it's not possible. I mean, it's not financially possible. So for us, we're not threatened to do money ball because our strategy is very specific. We wanna be in the payroll list four through eight. And we will live with being in the playoffs four straight years. And we believe if we're in the playoffs three of the four years, one of those three out of the four will catch the inevitable roulette wheel and we'll get out. Or we'll do what we did last year, we'll overperform 
and now we'll end up in one of the top three slots and we'll get automatically promoted. So Moneyball has no threat. Now I can, let me do this. I can predict the future. Let me tell you what it's gonna be, Twitter, January of 2020, ready? I prefer you to give me the six numbers for Sam. <laughs> if we're in a relegation battle, what they're going to say is Kent and Nigel need to put their hand in their pocket and get more money to get us out of this relegation battle. If we're mid-table, people are going to say Kent and Nigel need to put their hand in their pocket and make it to where at least we make the playoffs. If we're in the playoff positions in January, people are going to say put your hand in your pocket and get us up to where we get automatically promoted. And if we're in the top three positions, maybe even fourth, they will say put your hand in in your pocket and make sure that we finish in the top three. Okay, so there you are. That's the money ball thing. Sorry, not Jamie. gonna play, not playing it. Jamie Stripe. <laughs> Just wanted to ask Ken, um, now that we're back in the league, is he um, sort of adjust, readjusting his, his, um, his plans? Get near the mic, ask it, ask it again, sorry. Sorry, I'm just asking Ken, Ken, now we're back in the league, is he sort of readjusting his plans? So we're looking at rebuilding the East Stand as we like hopefully move up the leagues and hopefully give us a, a proper 21st century ground? Uh, so in relation to just the, the stadium, right? So there are things that get adjusted in the plan as we move up, but there are also long-term strategies that we have that don't, don't necessarily change. Um, East Stand is one of these where we know at some point it's going to have to be rebuilt. There's no question it has a useful life and then the useful life runs out. Okay, so at what point do we say we're going to replace the East Stand? And there are a lot of pros and cons with replacing the East Stand. And so we don't know exactly when is going to be the appropriate time. There are a lot of schemes about or a lot of options about on different things that we can do. And um, as far as the East Stand is concerned, there may be changes that we make within the next year or two, or it may take us another three to five years to do it exactly the way we want to do it. Imagine a world though, where we take down the East Stand where are you going to put those opposing fans that y'all love so much? And, you know, really then we will have a lot of sellouts because we'll be without, you know, quite a bit of the ground. So while it's being rebuilt and there's no way to rebuild it just during a summer break is the way I would put it. Yeah. So it's a, it's a tricky challenge. It's a tricky challenge and one that we're thinking through very carefully. The We've problem, been looking at it for the last two years. The problem with that stank, and if I get it right, is the asbestos, isn't it? I think Barry Hearn tried to get a quote about yeah, yeah, yeah. a decade ago, and it was about a million pounds to dismantle it then. Well, uh, fortunately for us, technology has made it to where those type of removal processes are done quicker, better, faster, and more inexpensively. There's still an issue. It's still an issue. It's not that, but um, it, it, it can be done rather quickly and and maybe better than it's been done in the past but yeah that's 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 not that's one of the challenges but it's not necessarily the biggest Kent, Kent, your um, your comments about Twitter and supporters <laughs> suggested you've got a pretty good handle on the way the oh, British football fan thinks. But I uh, doubt that. <laughs> I, I did like the way on Twitter earlier this summer that you were asking supporters for their sure. opinion about various things. Yeah. And I wondered what impression you got from fans about 
in particular the question about where should the club be in the sort of mid to long term where should we what should we have achieved in the next three years or so what impression right. did you get and how realistic do you think those those hopes were well first thing was is that I, we were really pleased with the response um i we had planned for me to do that um and it got delayed a little bit but I mean, we had planned on me doing that, sort of the 14 days of football kind of thing where I send out a tweet every day and ask a question. I thought, you know, 99% of the responses were extremely thoughtful, well thought out. Uh, we have, uh, Leighton Orient has phenomenal fans. Uh, they obviously know football really well. They understand the game. Uh, they still haven't been able to teach me what offside means, but that's a different problem. And so, you know, it's, and so I thought that the responses that we got were fantastic. And it's us judging and gauging how are we doing in relation to the expectations of the fans. And it seems like we're in pretty good shape. Um, there was not anything that was a huge surprise to us in any of the responses, but it was good to get confirmation that we were thinking along the same lines. Yeah. And that generally they are quite realistic about the, I mean, apart from anything else, about how far a, a club of Orient stature and resources and, and support can go at, the, at this well, stage. Okay, so here's the challenge that we face, right? You have an owner who believes that we should win every game and that drawing is like a disaster and losing is like something we should never consider. So we should get 46 times three, whatever that number is, points per year, right? So are their expectations unrealistic or are mine unrealistic? And in certain ways, mine are unrealistic too. So um, I don't think our fans are unrealistic. I do think it's a little unrealistic for Leighton Orient fans to believe that we are simply going to run the league or just roll over everyone just because we're late and orient and we have all this history or we have whatever they decide is the reason why because we're bigger or a bigger club or anything like that so i think that you know i would love it if we were bournemouth or you know something like that where we promote 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 and the next thing you know we're in the premier league and we're just sitting there and we're doing fine which I know they are, uh, that would be fantastic. I would love that, but I think that's unrealistic. So as an ownership group, we look at it as step-by-step, step, build it appropriately for the long term, and that means we get promoted about every three or four years. I think, Steve, what you're saying, and Kent, I think a realistic thing for Orient really is to be a viable alternative to Premier League football. And we are. You know, I, I mean, by being a championship, ideally a, a, a sustainable championship club long term. Um, sustainable and championship club are oxymorons um, because, because the average, the, well, the, 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 average, the average loss in a uh, championship club is 20 million pounds. They lose, on average, 20 million pounds a year. Last year, championship lost somewhere between 450 million and 500 million pounds as a league. Now, something's wrong. I don't know what, but we can start to figure it out pretty quick based on that number. But that's what the number is, and that's what it's been for the last three or four years. So sustainable championship club 
is a very, very, very tricky thing to do. There are only three or four championship clubs that made a profit mm. this last year. But that in itself is an unsustainable situation, Agreed. isn't it? I, so, I believe it is, but you know, maybe I'm not the economist I think I am. I don't think you're doing a bad job. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Billy. Yeah, I mean, how we we talked on um, before we came on air about people on Twitter and social media and what have you and stuff. And uh, sure. sometimes, um, you know, everyone has a right to say something, but it's whether you should say something or not. How do uh, yourself and members of the board and Martin deal with things when you do get tweeted things like a reactionary tweet after a game or someone tweeting you every day during preseason saying sign someone now because <laughs> it does my head in. I mean, uh, I can't imagine yeah. how it must feel for you guys. Uh, well. So I, I can't speak to how Nigel and the other board members handle it, so let me just talk about how I do it. First of all, there is a 24-hour waiting period after a win, draw, or loss for Kent Teague to be on Twitter. I don't even look at it. I just don't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Either they're, either they're gonna be super high and they're so glad, or they're gonna be super low and they're gonna be mad or we're gonna draw two times nil-nil and we're gonna win the championship, which still doesn't make any sense to me. So, cause I don't see how you win championships by drawing two times nil-nil in a row, but that's a different problem. And so I, I understand when I'm dealing with someone who basically supplies me with the following content for an argument. The content is, this is my personal preference if you disagree with me, personal attack or yeah. commentary on my heritage or whatever they decide to comment on. They call me shite. So, right, so, so when I see... We're not at the watershed yet. <laughs> I didn't say the real word, I said the nice word. So, so when I see that, that that's the structure of the tweet or that's the structure of the argument, which is, I prefer red, I prefer white wine. This is what they say. I prefer red, uh, white wine. And I know that Kent Teague prefers red wine. Thus, he is the S word. So, right, so when I see that as, if, if, if the argument is emotional with no facts, no, you know, logic, and then it's just a personal attack, it's very easy for me to just simply ignore it and not respond. So I think the best way for me to handle those is just not to even respond. Now, we do this in percentages. I think that Leighton Orient has about 1% of our fans. So let's say out of 6,000, there are 60 on any given match day that are of that ilk. There's only 60. They are the loudest 60, but there's only 60. And so, you know, there are 5,940 other people, I think I did the math right, 5,940 other people that don't share their belief or are not involved in a personal attack. Does it bother me? Yeah, I'm human. But does it change the decisions that we make or does it, you know, does it really, it has an impact, but it has a far, a uh, smaller impact, I think, than the people who said it want it to have. Yeah, Steve. <laughs> One of the um, advantages of getting promoted from the National League last season was that we get to keep the academy. Yep. And obviously, the academy has produced players like Dan Happy, 
mm-hmm. Josh Caroma players mm-hmm. who've gone on mm-hmm. and will have a great career in football. Mm-hmm. So that academy's back. So mm-hmm. what's, what are your hopes for the academy over the next two to three years? Well, I'm very fortunate. I, you know, I get to go out to the training ground on Tuesday morning and, and uh, you know, they have an academy match out there. So I actually get to see the under 15s, uh, some of the trialists and stuff like that. You know, we, um, Martin Ling and Lewis are telling me that the uh, newest crop that we got in um, are really, really strong uh, from top to bottom. And I think Lewis specifically has done a phenomenal job of rebuilding the academy kind of in the background um, and Martin Ling needed to shift a little bit more to, you know, to first team football um, because of the situation that we've had. So Lewis has done a fantastic job of restaffing the academy, getting new players signed, bringing in and creating a level of excitement in the academy that we always want. Um, and, I, and I think it's gonna do, I think it's gonna do very well. Well, let's have a look at uh, some of the other questions that have sure. come through. Ken on the uh, message board mm-hmm. does disorientate. Does <laughs> we've all been there? Uh, does Kent feel we need more American-style razzmatazz down at Brisbane Road? No, we don't. Here, here, here's what we need at Brisbane Road. We need more fans to be in the stands and support the side when we're playing. That's what that's that's all we need. We don't need glitz and glamour and an American style media bombardment. That is not what we need. What we want is we want fans to be proud of Leighton Orient Football Club. We want fans to be proud to bring their friends, their family, you know, uh, the either two generations up or two generations down or one up, one down. That's what we want. And so we don't feel like we need to feed a entertainment style model um, when we believe that sitting less than 24 rows from the pitch and being intimately involved in the match is the most valuable thing that we can offer. If a fan wants a multimedia experience, they can either have that on TV or they can go to a different ground where they can get that sort of thing. But for us, we really do want to produce this concept and this idea called real football in the capital and something where people say, you know, that's a family club. That's somewhere we want to be. Well, I was just going to ask a question, Ken, but I can't, you kind of half answered it, what you, what you said there. Um, assuming that things went well and we were promoted again and ultimately we were promoted again into the championship, you become a bigger club, etc. Oh how would we gosh. How would we try and ensure, um, you know, how would we ensure that the club doesn't lose its, what you were just saying, its soul, the fact that we're a community club, we're a family club, real football in the capital. Do you think the two things are, you know, a paradox? Can you, can yeah. you have a bigger club yes. but still have... A community club and a real because yeah. um, that's my most proud no, of being can. a Lower Orient fan yeah. is that the fact that we're a family we you know we have that connection with each other. Mm-hmm. Do you think that would you would we sell out? Would we sell out? Would we sell out as a championship club? Would we sell out as in like you know sell, you mean sell, like sell out the ground or you no, mean no, no. sell out our soul? <laughs> no, hopefully we sell out the ground. We're not so going to sell, sell our, our soul for no, it. No, no. Glad no, to we, hear you say and, that. And and here's the here's the biggest reason because the current chairman of our club would never allow that to happen. Nigel Travis 
you know, would never allow us to, to sell out our soul, you know, for being in the championship. We would figure out a way to structure the situation in a way that we would retain the best that is Leighton Orient. But see, there's this, there's this idea that it's either or, and I don't think, I don't think that an American style multimedia environment is the right thing, even if we were in the Premier League. I just don't think that. Um, because I don't think that what we have at Briar Group Stadium, I don't think what we have at Briar Group Stadium needs to be changed in order to have the appropriate number of people there who are you know, behind the side and, and, and wishing for the best. So, no, I don't think that. I'm glad to hear you say that. I think most fans will be. That's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, the ticket prices might increase, but... Oh, yeah, you know. sure. <laughs> <laughs> there's always a price. There's always you know, there's a price. A, well, yeah. there's a supply-demand problem there, but that's at the Premier League's spot. Well, it's probably a yes-no answer here. <laughs> this one, common, common rose uh, on the message board. My sure. question for Kent is, has he spent more money on the club than he thought he would have to <laughs> before he owned us? No. No, you haven't. No, and the reason is, is because I wrote a single check at the beginning and I haven't written another check. So I wired the day that we bought the club, I had already wired, but take it as an effective that day, um, we wired a certain amount of money. And, you know, so no, I haven't spent any more or any less than I expected. I, I've only put in, you know, one time. That's all I needed to do. It's all good. We're good. Smendrick Fieselberg, that's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> you wonder what they're on when they think of these things. <laughs> Scrabble, what it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dear, oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> it's a mouthful. Um, right, let's put this to bed once and for all, he says. Has, yep. the, has the salary budget for the squad for the 1920 season changed since Nigel Travis agreed the budget back in April? Yes, it has. And the reason it's changed is because there's a young man named Macaulay Bond who's now at Charlton, and there's another young man. <sighs> I called him Snail. Um, Josh Caroma, who's at Huddersfield. And so what happened was, is that the money that came in for those young men gets reinvested in the, in the first team. Uh, some of that money gets reinvested in the academy, and some of it gets reinvested in um, the like the kind of a general fund. And what happens is, is those decisions are made at a board level. It is not up to Martin Ling on how much money goes into what particular bucket, but it is such that Martin Ling um, understands how much more money he can spend. Danny understands how much more money he can spend. And um, it is also spread out over a number of years because some of those contracts don't necessarily pay us just lump sum day one. They are, you know, they come in over time. Quickly, we're going to get yeah. a couple no, of questions. No, I know, I know. We now, got, the old times we're like now. one minute, I know. Now then, Sorry I talked too much, A lot much, of people Andy. are saying about which is the best way to pay tribute to Justin oh. on Saturday. A third minute <sighs> applause. A lot of people want to know if you're in favor of a third minute applause. I, there are so many different great ideas on how to pay tribute to Justin. I think that some fans... Uh, this is something that um, where we are very hesitant to direct the fans on what they think the best way is as a group to pay tribute to Justin. If they decide they want to clap in the third minute and the 49th minute, 
um, that's up to them. Um, you know, if there are songs that are sung or it, it is up to the fans to decide, not us. Right, quick message from uh, Orient's ticket office. It says, please pick up your season tickets early on Saturday to avoid the queues. And our thanks tonight to Jamie Stripe, to Trevor Singerfield, Billy Herring, forgotten your name, Steve Tung, <laughs> Stevie Nussball. Who are you? Who are you again? Barry? I just wandered in. That's Barry oh, Galvin. Yeah. Barry, Barry from Galvin. the street, Barry Galvin. <laughs> and of course, to the top man himself, entertaining Thank you very as much, ever. Andy. Thank you very much, Ken. Thank you. Yep. Cheers, Andy. And thanks to you for listening. We'll catch you next week with Steve and Paul in the building.